The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your Bibles with me, please. Let's go to the book of Revelation in chapter number four, please. Revelation chapter number four. And I don't know. I know there was a young couple that slipped in. Did the, uh, the ushers get them a connection card uh, over here? No, just kidding. Of course, that's the purses. We're glad to have them here with us here tonight. And they came in all the way from Florida for uh, Chris and Heather's uh, wedding. And uh, I believe uh, Tyler and Kristen will be here as well for the wedding. And so. Uh, Michaela is able to make it as well. Awesome. Well, praise God for that. Uh, we're excited for those who were able to come and to be a part of that special time for them. Glad to have them here tonight as well. Uh, we're going to be in Revelation 4 tonight, and uh, we've been studying for uh, months now uh, through Daniel and then into Revelation. And then we went through the first three chapters of Revelation, and then we went back to Daniel to give a foundation again to make sure everyone was on the same page with that also. And uh, so before we jump into the chapter four here tonight, uh, we will just recap uh, and, and make sure we're all on the same page and, and uh, hope that you were able to join us online last week. We gave a little uh, just brief overview of this first verse here in chapter 4 last week as we did that. We'll go a little bit more in detail as we go through verse number 5 here this evening as well. Uh, but Brother Robert, give me that first slide with the outline there, of course. If you remember back in chapter 1, verse number 19, uh, the Lord gave John uh, an a outline, to uh, a way to divide the book, if you may, and he said uh, to write about the things that he saw, the things that are, and the things that will come hereafter, and or the things after these things. And so we discussed that chapter one was, of course, the things that he saw. And we said that chapter two and three were the things that are. And so we, we went into detail to make sure we all understood how they could be are when it was being spoken about, you know, 2,000 years ago or so. And because while those things were absolutely taking place, uh, as he wrote those letters to the ch seven churches there in Asia Minor, we also know that they were representative of the entirety of the church age. And so we discussed all of those things as we went through chapter 2 and chapter number 3 and those seven letters, of course, as well. Uh, then, of course, we went back to uh, Daniel, uh, chapter 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 9, to give a foundation with that. Give me that next slide, if you would, Brother Robert, please. And, uh, and so we, we discussed that outline. We discussed how it all lays out and, and where the events of chapter 2 and chapter 3 actually fall into the age in which we are in right now. And we found the, that age in Daniel. Next slide there, Brother Robert, if you would, please. And uh, we, we realized that we were in a, pr a present time, uh, the age of the Gentiles, which we'll show in just a moment, but the church age in which we're living right now occupy the last days of this current age. And it will come to an end, the church age will come to an end, and it will begin the countdown, if you may, again, of uh, that last seven that Daniel talked about, those uh, last seven years uh, to take care of, as, of course, and, and we'll get into more of that here in just a moment. Give me the next one, if you would, please. And uh, the age of the Gentiles began back there, as we spoke with Dan about in Daniel, with Babylon and the rise of Nebuchadnezzar and such. And so, 
and it's continuing on even now. And uh, give me the next slide, if you would, please, and kind of gives us a little more information to kind of uh, visually see how it's going on. And so we had Babylon, we had uh, Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and then what we are calling the imperialistic democratic alliances that are taking place right now. And uh, from the time that Jerusalem was taken all the way until a covenant will be made, and that will be the beginning of that last seven, or what we will be determining tonight as uh, the tribulation period. And so give me the next slide, please, Brother Robert. And uh, so we see how this is all unfolding, how this is all laying out in this timeline. And uh, of course, uh, with this outline that we were given in chapter one and verse number 19, the things that John saw took place there in, uh, in chapter one. The things that are involve the church age, and the things that are after is when the church has been taken out. And so uh, that led us, of course, outside of the, all that information led us outside the book of Revelation. We learned about the things that took place in Daniel, or recapped it at least as well. And uh, I think I might have one more. Is that right, Brother Robert? And, uh, and we'll get to that in just a moment here. Uh, so the book of Revelation, as we said, we're in three parts, and, and uh, Jesus called part three here. In uh, chapter 1, in verse number 19, he said, the things which shall be hereafter. When we come to chapter 4, in verse number 1, we find the first word is after. And so after these things, after the things that have unfolded, after all that has taken place, and, and these chapters tell the story of Daniel's final sevens that he spoke of, as we discussed several weeks ago. But one of the most, uh, uh, the most important terms that we need to come to grips with in understanding this and making sure that this foundation is laid correctly and we know where we're going is uh, the term, the day of the Lord. If you want to join with me in 2 Peter, we'll go there and read in chapter 3 and verse number 10, uh, but we'll kind of discuss this and make sure we are all on the same page with, with that terminology and others as well, which will lead us to where we come with the tribulation uh, or the time of Jacob's trouble as well. But 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In the, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the work, uh, works that are therein shall be burnt up. Peter describes this day of the Lord uh, as a day that is surprising uh, when the Lord is, go I'm sorry, the world is going to endure a, a great destructive force. Now, he's not speaking of a time where the day of the Lord is going to be uh, sunshine and roses. This is a time where wrath is going to be poured out. And of course, we see that he, he uses the terminology, the day of the Lord. Uh, but as we will see, we of course understand that it's more than just one literal day. It's a time of God's wrath being poured out. Paul put it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verses 2 through 3. He said, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and uh, they shall not escape. And like Daniel earlier, Paul confirms that this is a dark day of destruction that's going to come on the whole earth. It's not going to be just uh, periodic. It's not just going to be in specific locations. It's going to be the entirety of the earth that is going to experience this. And it's also surprising to all of those that dwell on the earth as well. 
One term for the, this period is also found in the Old Testament. And where we go to Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse number 7, that's where you find on our screen here this evening. He says, Alas, for the, great, for the day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. This time specifically is intended, of course, for what we would know as Israel. We know Jacob, his name was changed to Israel, uh, as Jeremiah says. And we remember from Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 24 that this seven-year period was specifically part of a plan uh, that God had for Jerusalem and for Israel and all that as well. And so this final period of seven years, uh, we see it as the day of the Lord or, or Israel's final accounting and in, and in the church and, and, and it's come to, to be known uh, by a different type of, uh, of terminology. We normally won't use the term Jacob's trouble. We won't normally use the term the day of the Lord necessarily, but we have come to know this last seven years as a ter- by the term what, church? Tribulation, of course, and, and uh, we understand that actually is a, 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 a terminology that we can derive from the book of uh, Deuteronomy, I believe it was, but nevertheless, the, the, the root word for tribulation means to compress or to constrict like grapes in a press itself and being crushed down. And so no doubt these seven years of tribulation uh, are going to be a time of pressure, a time of, of, of exactly that, tribulation and turmoil as well. So the seven years could be divided into smaller periods, of course, and we'll do that as we go along. Uh, but for now, we need to understand how the transition takes place from the time we're in right now, the church age to the time that this tribulation period is going to begin. And thankfully, the Bible gives us that transition. It gives us that information. And it gives us that information in chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation. And this is a continuous scene. If, if you were to read on chapter 4 all the way through chapter 5, it's all one scene. It's all one uh, segment of all of this that is taking place. But we're going to take it slowly and divide it up, even this scene, as we go along here. And so join with me in chapter 4 of Revelation. And uh, let's look in verse number 1. We're going to read down through verse number 5. So Revelation 4, verse 1, all the way through verse number 5. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was uh, to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessings, and we'll continue on tonight. Our Father, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to uh, gather together in your house again tonight. Lord, I ask that you just bless our time in your word. Give me the word to speak as I deliver it here tonight. Help us to hear from you. Help us to draw closer to you. Help us to uh, magnify you and exalt you because of what we are uh, learning tonight from your word. Uh, Lord, we just thank you and glorify you and praise you for all that is done. I ask that your will be accomplished. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The first thing I want you to notice with me tonight, number one, is this, is that the plan of God demands our praise. And we find here in verse number one, again, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were the tr- of a trumpet talking with me, which said, and here's, here's the plan, here's, here's what God uh, says to John, and, and says, here's what I want you to see unfolding. He says, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. The things that John is about to see, he's about to get a glimpse of things that we haven't even experienced yet. And the things that he's speaking, and as we, as we looked at chapter 2 and chapter 3, he was, he was talking to seven literal churches that were, take, that were around with literal people, uh, around 95, 80 or so, uh, that had people that were experiencing the things that he wrote about as God inspired him to do so. But he also was foretelling or prophesying of how this church age would unfold, and each church representing in a different time, as we discussed, and, and we discussed all of that uh, in great detail over as we looked at each and every one of those seven letters to those seven churches. But now as he begins to, as he's called up and he begins to see these things unfold, these are things that hadn't unfolded in 95 AD. These are things that haven't even unfolded yet in 2021. These are things that are still to come. But John saw a vision of this. John saw a glimpse into what would be taking place. And he's seen God's plan unfolding, my friends. And I'm here to tell you tonight that God's plan demands our praise. Because it is a perfect plan. It is an awesome, ultimate plan. And, th- and this is no doubt an amazing scene as we jump into chapter 4. I know we didn't read the whole chapter, and we'll get into the rest of chapter 4 next week, and in, in the chapter 5, and the weeks ahead, of course, as well. And chapter 4 and 5, you remember, they, they go together. We're going to divide them up and study them in, the, you know, in pieces, but they go together in this throne room of God, and, and it's a detailed description about the Lord's throne room, uh, probably the greatest description that is found in the Word of God. And all three of the members of the Godhead will be present throughout these two chapters as we go along and as we see them un- these things unfold. And throughout this scene, we see exp- uh, uh, expressions of praise unto God. In fact, if you'll jump on down, you'll find in verse number, um, uh, verse number six, he says there was some beasts, four beasts full, uh, around the throne. And, and uh, he says in verse number seven that he, he describes the, those beasts. In verse number eight, at the end, he says these, they, were, they were around the throne of God and they were saying things like, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And, and this praise and this adoration for God, it says, will begin with this, this chorus of holy, holy, holy. The fact that it's this, that it is spoken three times is to say, He is worthy. He, is, he, he deserves our, our honor and, his, our pow- and He deserves all power and, and He's worthy of judgment. He's worthy of glory. And that's followed by a fourth declaration of honor and glory at the end of chapter number five. We won't get into that right now, but it's going to be nonstop praise. It's going to be nonstop praise. And all I'm here to tell you tonight is we might as well get used to praising God right now because we're going to be praising Him for all of eternity. You say, preacher, is that all we're going to do in heaven? Well, of course not. There's going to be other things. And, and we even spent a great deal uh, quite a while back as we studied uh, what the Bible said about heaven. And it's going to be an awesome, wonderful place, but no doubt it is going to be a time where we are praising God 
and glorifying him for who he is. But John here says that a door was opened uh, in, to heaven, and, and Jesus calls him to come up hither and come up into heaven. As we even discussed last week online, that, that phrase saying that the door was open in heaven, it was already opened. It was something that the Lord did for him. It wasn't something that John uh, was able to conjure up on his own. It wasn't like he walked up to the apartment building of heaven and said, I'm coming in. God had this door already open and invited him in, of course. And, and uh, we know it's Jesus calling because John says the same voice as he heard earlier is calling him here as well. And we discussed how that was no doubt Jesus earlier on in chapter 1, of course. And we know this scene is even uh, as well set after the church age has ended. Uh, and because Jesus says that he's showing John things that are going to happen after this, after these things meaning that the th it's happening after the things that the church is going to experience. We, we did an overview of that last week, and we'll get even into greater detail, probably not by the time we close tonight, but definitely next week we'll talk more about it. But these details within this scene serve to confirm to us, I believe anyways, that the church age has ended as we get into chapter number four and these events, events begin to unfold. So number one, we see the plan of God demands our praise. Number two tonight, notice the person of God demands our praise. We look at verses two and three, it says, and immediately I was in the spirit. Behold, a throne was set in heaven and one, one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. The first thing that John sees is, the, is God the Father seated there on the throne, and chapter 4, no doubt, definitely focuses in on God the Father. God the Father is described as appearing like Jasper or Sar and Sardis. Uh, Jasper uh, is, uh, you could consider that as the ancient term for diamond, and uh, the Sardis stone was first mined out of that city of Sardis, and, and uh, it had a fiery red appearance. And so the two of them together suggest bright, they suggest dazzling, they suggest a fiery light around the, uh, God the Father, along with an emerald green rainbow. Now, it's an interesting scene to me, and, and, and can I just take a rabbit trail right here? There's just a few things. Uh, it, 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 it's, it always has been kind of amusing to me, some of the things that church people get so bent out of shape about. They get bent out of shape about well, they'll call them 7-Eleven songs, right? The songs that they just say the same words over and over and over again, like, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder. Okay, that went over like a lead balloon. But we've already seen that as we praise God, it's going to be holy, holy, holy. Why do we get so bent out of shape about that? Or you go into some place and into a church and it might have uh, some colored lights in there on the back wall or whatever the case might be. Well, if that upsets you now, you're not going to like heaven much. Are you hearing me? He has, it says that he glows like a sardine stone. He glows as bright as a diamond, shines bright as a diamond. It'll be an a emerald rainbow that will be around his throne. Listen, folks, we, we've got a lot of things we ought to be dogmatic about and say, this is what we need to stand for, and there's a lot of things we just need to throw by the wayside. But here's what I'm saying tonight. The person of God, he demands our praise. 
John is describing an amazing appearance of God himself sitting on his throne. We find this vision is similar to the one that Daniel saw back in chapter 7 of Daniel we've already discussed. Interesting to note, though, the Bible tells us, and John himself actually is the one who wrote this underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in 1 John 4 and 12, that no one has seen the Father at any time. But here he's saying he's seen God, and he's seen him on his throne. So like Daniel of old and like John, they're witnessing a vision that was prepared for them. They were seeing an appearance of him. They had not yet seen him literally yet, I don't believe. And, and if, if, if the appearance of God is so great and magnificent, let's just imagine how great it's going to be when we literally see him face to face. And it's, so we, we understand it's a represent, representation of the Father, uh, but the point is to give John something that he can understand so that he can communicate a message to us through this vision. So we see, number one tonight, that the plan of God demands our praise. Number two, that the person of God demands our praise. Number three, as we come into verse number four, notice that the privileges of God demand our praise. In verse number four, it says, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats were I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. See, the, the story begins to, it's centering there in the throne room of God, but it, it centers around the events that are taking a place around this throne. And beginning in verse number four, he speaks of 24 elders that are praising the Father as they are there. Now, we're going to go through this verse in verse number four, and we're going to find uh, several characteristics that are described about these 24. Uh, I'll go ahead and give you that slide, if you would, please, Brother Robert, and uh, we'll see these things unfold, and we'll discuss what all they, I believe they mean. But they're seated, it says, at verse number four, they're seated on seats, or uh, we'll look at other places. I believe there's, these are more like thrones as well. They're wearing white garments, and they were adorned on, with crowns on their heads, uh, the word elder is always used in connection to human beings who would lead God's people. In fact, Israel had elders over them in the Old Testament times from the time of Moses. The church, the Bible says, is led by elders uh, as well, or pastors as it speaks of as well. And uh, so in calling these characters elders, John is indicating that these are human beings. These are individuals. These are people that had lived. They were on earth at one time. Now they're in heaven. They're in the presence of God. And this is the first time uh, elders are being described as being presented around the throne of God. In earlier uh, visions of this similar situation, like in Daniel or Isaiah or Ezekiel, he, they, none of them discuss the fact that these elders are here, but this is the first time we find them. We find that these 24 elders were, uh, wear clothes, uh, clothes that symbolize the righteousness that they have by faith. And so they have white robes, meaning that they're believers in Christ. And the Bible, of course, tells us that by faith we have received Christ's righteousness. And in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Figuratively speaking, even the Bible tells us that and when we are saved and His righteousness is granted to our and appointed to our account, that we are putting on Christ as if we were putting on a 
a a piece of clothing. We read in Galatians 3 and verse number 27, and as many of you as have been baptized in Christ have put on Christ, it says. And and so we remember earlier as we studied through the seven churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3 that the letter to Sardis, we learned that those there had been wearing white garments and those were representative of those who were saints, those who had been saved. And uh, because of those white garments. Again, in Revelation 19 and verse number 8, it also says this, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen, it says, is the righteousness of the saints. And so we find, as we read here in verse number 4, I saw these four or 20 elders clothed in white raiment. It is, a, it is speaking to the fact that these individuals are people who had once lived on earth, they are saved by the grace of God, not their own righteousness, because the Bible is clear our righteousness is as filthy rags, but the righteousness of God imputed upon their life because of their trust and belief in Christ. And uh, so these are believers uh, present in, uh, in the heavenly throne room. We find, secondly, that they are sitting on thrones, indicated that they have a ruling authority. Uh, we know that Jesus says that the church saints will have a position of authority in the kingdom. He says in uh, Luke 22, verses 28 through 30, he says, Ye are they which uh, have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, and ye may, that ye may eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Later on in chapter 20 of Revelation, in verse number 4, the Bible says this, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon Upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded uh, for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had they received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And so we're seeing these this 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 group of people being described. It says they're elders. There's 24 of them. We'll get to the importance of that number in just a moment. But they're elders, and so we, of course, can derive from that that these were human beings. We also find that they had white raiment, picturing the righteousness of God. That means they were believers. They're saved, and so they're saved individuals, and they're ruling in in this throne room with Christ as well, as we've seen in other portions of Scripture. Thirdly, they're wearing crowns, as John says. It says in verse number uh, four, they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, that Greek word for crowns is the word Stephanos, and it specifically describes an award uh, for an excellent performance. It's the same word that was uh, used for the wreaths that were given to the athletes who would compete in the Greek Olympic Games. And as, as such, it lines up with what the rest of Scripture says as well. 1 Corinthians 9 and 25 says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do, to obtain, do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. Paul said, hey, the, 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 those that, 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 that uh, they, they work out and they, they uh, participate in these games, they do it for a, a crown, an incor- a, a corruptible crown, a Stephanos, an award or a reward, something that they've earned, but it's going to fade away. It was just a, a wreath uh, in those days. It would, I mean, it was literally dead when it was put on their heads. And it was going to wither away. But Paul said, for, as the, for the Christian, when we 
live for Christ, we're living for a crown or a reward that is incorruptible. Second Timothy 4 and 8, Paul said to Timothy, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them who also that love is appearing. So these crowns are are a token or tokens representing the believer's eternal reward that eventually become our inheritance in the kingdom. And these elders rep- represent the leadership of the church throughout the centuries. And here's a few things that we can think about here. 24. Why 24 elders? Uh, is there no doubt more than 24 individuals who have had some type of... Uh, of uh, of leading capacity throughout the church in these, what, 2,000 years? Absolutely there has been. So here's, here's a few thoughts, all right? And I'll give you what I think is my opinion in Y24. Here's one. Uh, it, one has, has been stated that how many tribes of Israel were there? There's 12 tribes of Israel, so the Old Testament. How many apostles were in the New Testament? 12. What's 12 and 12? 24. And so the representation of 24, some have said, are a representative of the Old Testament age, the New Testament age, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, and so on and so forth, put them together. Here's, here's my take on it. Obviously, over these 2,000 years or so, there's been far more than 24 elders in the church, uh, but the Lord wouldn't have been able to show John every church leader throughout all time. Are you following where I'm coming from? That'd be a, a, a lot of people to show. In fact, also, uh, we, we could, I believe we can understand this to mean the entirety of the church or the entirety of, of, God, of what God has saved and who He has saved. Uh, you say, well, we've already seen the number seven means 100%. Why didn't He just use the number seven then, which we'll see in just a little bit as He would have as well. Well, uh, I would put it this way. The number 12, it has a, a pretty good governing connotation in a lot of things. For instance, we said there was 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 apostles. There are 12 months that govern our year, and so on and so forth. And in fact, when you double a number in Scripture, it goes to show the importance of that number or to go and say uh, the completion of it. And so by using 24 and 12 as a representation of government, by using 24, he's saying, he's he's, he's expressing the importance of this, expressing the completion of this as well. And so double 12 or 24 means all of those that have been, uh, that have trusted Christ and those that are present at that time as well, uh, those leaders of the church. And so, number one tonight, we've seen the plan of God demands our praise. Number two, the person of God demands our praise. Number three, the privileges of God demands our praise. But fourthly, before we close, notice this with me in verse number five. Verse five, he says, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. When we find those, that phrase, lightnings and thunderings, especially throughout the book of Revelation, you can always consider judgments. All right, we're going to see that in several places going along, but just a quick glance into that. Uh, but judgments are coming out from the throne in verse number five, he says. But, as we, but we find lastly tonight that the power of God demands our praise. In verse number five, he, 
goes on and describes the seven lampstands burning with fire around the throne of God. And he explains that these seven lampstands, he says at the end of verse number five, are the seven spirits of God. Now, like the Father, the Spirit of God is not visible. So if the Spirit makes His presence known to us, He must do it in some other form. He often appears, the Bible says, as fire. He appears as a dove. Here, though, in this case, he appears as lampstands. In verse number five, he says uh, there, there were seven lamps that were around the throne of God. And we find here that uh, in a similar way as Isaiah had described the Spirit in Isaiah eleven two, using seven characteristics, we find them described as seven lamps that are around the throne. Once again, we understand the number seven to mean what? 100%, a completion, the, the, the complete of it. Obviously, today, the Spirit is inside of me as a believer. And as a believer, obviously, the Spirit is inside of you as well. As God and being omnipresent, uh, He can be anywhere at any time. But let's remember, back in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon people and the Spirit departed from people. I think of Saul, right? The King Saul. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and the Spirit of God departed from him as well. We read that in the Old Testament. When Jesus was here, and as he was telling his disciples, he was about to be crucified. He would eventually ascend into heaven. He said, but I'm not going to leave you alone. He said, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send the Comforter. And so at that time, the Spirit of God was not present on the earth. In fact, it wasn't until Acts chapter number 2, at the day of Pentecost, that the Spirit came and dwelt amongst the believers, right? So what I'm getting at here tonight is this. What is being said here is that the Spirit is in the throne room of God. That is to say that He is no longer present on the earth. Are you following what I'm saying here tonight? And this is all important to see how chapter 4 gives us this transition from the church age coming to an end and the church being gone to the last seven starting or the tribulation period starting because it is clear, which we'll get into even next week, it is clear that the Spirit is not going to be present during those seven years of tribulation. So the fact that John is saying that the seven spirits of God is present in this throne room, he's saying the complete 100% absoluteness of the Spirit of God is right there. Is the Spirit 100% here today? Absolutely is, because He's here in me, He's in you as well. And anywhere you go as a believer, the Spirit's there. But there will be a day that the Spirit, being able to choose where He is and being able to be everywhere at one time as well, He can also choose to be in only one place or not to be in some place. And there will be a day that here on this earth, the Spirit will no longer be here. And it's, that's, that's the times that John is being called up hither to see begin to unfold and to take place. So by what John has witnessed here so far, the suggestion is that the entire church, the entirety of believers must be present in the throne room of God. Give me that next slide there if you would, Brother Robert. And so all of the church must be in the throne room. 
Chapter 4 is after the church age, and all the leaders of the church are in heaven. 100% of the Holy Spirit is in heaven as well. And if the Spirit is not present on the earth for any time, then the church cannot be present on the earth either, because we know who makes up the church, the body of believers. And who's a believer? One who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as Paul would teach in the New Testament as well. And so we note that this scene immediately follows part two, the things that are, chapter two, chapter three. And so we enter chapter four. As we enter chapter four, we know that the times that are, or the church age, as we've already discussed on earth, has ended and new things have begun. The outline of the book of Revelation itself confirms that the time of the church on earth is over and all of the leaders of the church are present in he- uh, uh, that uh, of the church is present and surely all the church is under the care and present in heaven in the throne room of God. And so of course as we even discussed last week though we look at this and we see John as a type, right? John as a type of the believer being caught up John as a type of the ones, of us, a picture of us who are going to be called up at the rapture. We don't base our doctrines off of types. We don't base our doctrines off of pictures. Although I believe it definitely pictures that and it typifies it and it gives us extra validity to this, to this teaching of a rapture before the tribulation, we, are going to, we need to go elsewhere. And to understand some two specific details, guess what? We're going to step back out of the book of Revelation again. You say, preacher, we're studying the book of Revelation. We've spent three weeks in the book of Daniel as we've been in this study. Now you're telling me we're going back out of the book of Revelation to study some more. It's imperative, though, because we've got to make sure we've got these terminologies and what the Scripture is teaching correct. And if we don't, because if we don't have those, if, if we don't have the terminology correct and know what it stands for, we start interchanging them. And then we've got things like, well, the, the day of the Lord just is the second coming of Christ, which we've just discussed today, that the day of the Lord is speaking of this rat, time of wrath, this period of seven years of tribulation. And so it can't be both. You see what I'm saying? And so we're going to discuss two specific details, and we'll need to look at what other scripture teaches about the end of this church age and the beginnings of this, uh, this final seven, this tribulation period, as we're calling it, so that we can make sure that we're tracking along all on the same page as we're going along. And I believe if we, once we get this terminology and have a proper understanding of these phrases correctly, then we won't have any problems being tripped up when someone comes along. Well, the Bible says here, and they try to apply it to a portion of time that it doesn't apply to. They take it out of context. You see what I'm saying? And that's why we're taking this time and being so diligent to go in and out, make sure we take the entire Bible in its context and make sure we understand. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for uh, this evening. We do praise you and thank you for the fact that You are worthy of our praise, and even tonight, as we've seen through these first five verses, uh, that every aspect of your plan and your person, uh, the fact that we get the privilege to participate in in, be in your presence, uh, your power, it all is worthy of uh, of our praise, and uh, you alone are worthy. And Lord, I ask now that you'd help us to focus on you, and and that, uh, if anything, this time in your word through these uh, scriptures that are exciting, confusing at times as well, 
but if anything, it would just do this. It would help us to, to glorify you and magnify you and praise you for your goodness and all that you've done for us. Lord, I ask now that you would hear our request now tonight as we bring our petitions before you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you had a prayer card that you did not yet turn in, hold it up. And Brother Matchett's in the back. He'll get it from you as he makes his way up. We'll make announcement of these, so I hope that you'll jot them down and make them a matter of prayer tonight as well. So let's pray about these requests here this evening. The Sedlocks are, um, are asking prayer um, for uh, Dad Lenny, uh, surgery on November the 5th. Uh, for his leg, and so please be in prayer for that. And then Mom Cindy, continued health uh, uh, and uh, for issues at home as well. So continue to keep them in your prayers. That's Lenny and Cindy, and uh, be in prayer for those two situations. Robert Stevens is asking prayer for his son, Christopher, who's struggling in tech school at this time. So just be in prayer for uh, Christopher, and uh, just that the... Uh, the Lord would be able to give him the strength and the ability he needed to get through that time. Also praising the Lord um, that the VA said that he doesn't need surgery on his hand. And um, also uh, it's, it looks like his wife's deciding to homeschool the girls. And uh, so he's praising God for that opportunity there. Uh, Miss Tana's praising God tonight. She was able to get a job. And so we praise the Lord with her as well. And uh, so those are the requests here this evening. I want to encourage you to do this tonight. Um, if you would like to find yourself a prayer partner, I'm not going to stop you from doing so, but I want to encourage you to be considerate of uh, the sicknesses that we have gone, had going around as to not to get in too close of a bubble necessarily. But I will take this time to let you find yourself a prayer partner if you like, or just go to Lord in Prayer yourself. We'll pray for as long or as for as little as you'd like here tonight. And when you're finished praying, feel free to be dismissed. And uh, we're grateful that you were able to be here tonight and uh, thankful for the Lord working in our lives. For those watching online as well, we're grateful they were able to join there. And I am very grateful in the, for the times and the days in which we live. Uh, there, there was a, a time 20 years ago easily that when, if something like uh, the sickness we had would have happened, we wouldn't have been able to even have any type of church. And uh, so even in the midst of all of that, we can find the blessings, and so we praise the Lord for that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank Him for His goodness. Ask them to be with those who are sick. Uh, I will mention, um, well, I don't want to get into people's business without them asking me yet. Uh, I just, that's, that's a hard part. Listen, I'm, if you ever tell me you're sick or you say, Pastor, pray for me, uh, and then you say, he never announced that to the church. It's because you didn't tell me to. Uh, if, unless somebody specifically says, please ask the church to pray for me, if they just ask me, I'm going to keep it to myself because I don't want to share somebody's business that don't want shared. And uh, so just know this, there's several that are still sick. Uh, there was up at least 50 people uh, in our church that, were, that came down with COVID over the last couple of weeks. And we hadn't made that announcement um, as far as how many, but there was at least that many, and if not more. And uh, so there, that's a lot. That's why we did the procedures we did. And uh, so there's still some struggling with that. And so just be in prayer for our church uh, and that the Lord would heal. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight.